What up? All right, y'all. Welcome to the This Is Not That podcast. My name is Joanna Bouch, and I'm here with the homies. What up with y'all? And Isaiah. (laughs) It's been a minute. We, um... So we're, uh, we come out every two weeks with a new episode and, um, two weeks ago, we did not have an episode for you all. So apologies to the audience. Um, but we're so happy to be back. Um, I know I was out of town and so that kind of shifted our, um, recording, recording timelines. So apologize to Raphael and Isaiah and also again, the audience, but, um, I was in NOLA for, a week and that was an adventure no um, well i accept your apology because you brought me back some beignets so that was you paid me off <laughs> you paid me off yes. so i forgive you Whereas, dang put me on blast with isaiah though <laughs> where's nola well maybe i wouldn't even well, well what are those i have a nut allergy so i don't Maybe I can't even eat them. Yeah, you know? that's what, what are it those? Is. It's yeah. a peanut allergy. Um, it's a peanut based pasty. <laughs> so. Oh my god! How okay? So like, what is a beignet like? It's it's like a donut. Okay. With powdered sugar with powdered sugar on it. Perhaps? Yeah, I would like... say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that makes it, sense to me. To me, it it resembled a. a a little bit of a cream puff without the cream. Um, but it definitely was a million times more delicious than a cream puff. Uh, fun fact, I do not like cream puffs. <laughs> Where's Nola anyways? Uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought you said Nora or Nola. I'm like where, where's that, that town? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you should have played that. You should have left. You should have stressed that. You should have stressed that one. That would have been a great prank to like just keep going on for a long period of time. Let me just yeah. say yeah, this though. It's, it's over by Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> Joanna didn't skip out. She got mines from the real actual place. She didn't get it from like a 7-Eleven in New Orleans. She got it from <laughs> Cafe Dumont, right? Like she got it from the good place. Yes, I um, got you the most authentic beignet there is here in the United States. Um, dude, it's wild. So I've been to New Orleans before a couple years ago and like it was packed. Everything was packed. You had to wait in line for everything. Um, and it was a completely different experience going this time or, um, this time around, you know, with with the pandemic. I, it was almost like it was still busy, but it almost felt like a ghost town a little bit. Um, there was no line at Cafe, Cafe Dumont, and that's like almost unheard of. Um, I will say, though, while I was there, uh, the mayor had uh, held a press conference saying that she was going to be implementing the Monday after I was gone. She was going to start implementing a mandate where folks had to present their vaccination cards to get into into any public locations like so bars or uh, restaurants. Um, and I talked to a couple of New Orleanians just like, you know, at the bar or whatever, like in random conversations and folks are like pretty, pretty upset about it. Like pretty furious. Um, yeah, pretty I don't know. I mean, I guess that's how it, 
that they have to have, that they had to do that, that they had to present uh, a vaccine card and um, they're just, they were like super annoyed with their mayor. I don't know. I have kind of mixed feelings about that. Um, I know when I got my vaccine card, they kind of, they made it seem like, well, no, they didn't make it seem like they literally told me that it's like as important as a social security card and don't lose it. And there's people copying them and stuff like that. And I'm looking at the thing and I'm like, well, it's not like a dollar bill where it has the invisible face or something when you hold it up to the light. So how do you know if it's real or not? And number two, it's like, I lock up my social security card. You know, I don't carry that around with me like an ID. So it's like, it felt like a, a weird thing to compare it to, you know? Um, I don't know, you know, so I, I kind of have mixed feelings about the logistics of it and the, the, um, of course, you know, yeah, I don't know. I have thoughts about it, but what, what, what about you guys? I don't know. I, 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 as an adult, it's a lot of stuff you don't want to do. You do. Right. And you just don't complain about it. And I think when you are in the middle of a pandemic and we watched hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people die from it, I think this is one of those things that fall under the category of just sucking it up and just doing it, right? Like, this is a part of our new world. None of us want it. None of us like it. But I think just it's our responsibility, right? You know, so mm-hmm. I, I hear you, Isaiah. I know the, the logistics of it can be cumbersome and stuff like that. But like me mm-hmm. really being mad at elected officials around it or people in power saying like oh you have to have a a vaccination card to go into businesses i don't think i got that's not the hill i want to die on that's not something is something that's uh yeah like like some type of conspiracy theory or some some mess like that it's just like something that we have to do now and hopefully if people do it and take it seriously we won't have to do it for long but the more you complain and not do it it extends the process. So it's kind of productive in my mind to just sit and complain or like not do it, you know? Yeah. I guess that maybe just the, the talk that I had from the lady who gave me my shot about the whole social security card equivalent, maybe that, that that's really the part that kind of gets me just because it doesn't, um, because like, if you compare it to that, then it's like, is there essentially like, if I lose that card, is there a sense, like, how do we, she basically said you can't get another one. So it's like, is there a central agency, like a, like how there's a social right. security administration that handles this? How do you know if it's a real card? Uh, and if it is that important, why do I have to carry it? Is it smart to carry it around with me? You know what I mean? Cause I don't carry my social around with me. So um, I, I know friends who do, and I think that's not smart because <laughs> you can lose your wallet or something, but um, right. yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I'm, I feel similar to you, Rafi. Um, all of that stuff was on point. Like it's, it's like just a sense of responsibility and added to the many things that we have to do as adults that mm-hmm. are not fun. Um, I do think that you can, uh, like, I don't know, go to the Milwaukee County website or something, something with the County where you can like get a copy of your vaccine card. Um, okay. I know that I, I temporarily lost mine um, and was just like losing, like losing my mind, like throwing everything around looking for it. But um, fortunately didn't have to go through the process of getting a new one. Cause I did find it. Um, but so quickly wanted to like jump to, so I like, again, back to when me, I me being out of town for NOLA, like a whole bunch was going down here in Milwaukee and Wisconsin with the weather. 
you know, I thought I was going to go to NOLA and encounter a bunch of storms and like the rainy season or anything. And it, and it did rain, but on the contrary here in Wisconsin is where the power was out and trees were falling and all of that. What was it like for y'all while being here? Uh, you want to oh. go first, Ralphie? <laughs> it was miserable, Joanna. I was almost about to text you like, you can't go on vacation. Like, it was your fault that this happened, but uh, <laughs> I avoided that text. Yeah, no, I was one of those people of the, I think it was 200,000 people across the state of Wisconsin uh, were out of power. And I was one of those people. My power was out for close to 72 hours. And uh, I mean, by day two, I was ready to break. <laughs> I, was, I was ready to break. It was like 90 degrees at night and trying to sleep in 90 degree heat is miserable. It was and you just a lot of stuff that you take for granted. Yeah. Uh, it's just normal living your life, like hot showers or like the stove and stuff like that. You realize like we're one storm. And I for me, I, I it was a storm, but it wasn't like a. I wouldn't say it was like a, a abnormal story that I haven't seen uh, in my lifetime, but just simple like that storm took out 200,000 mm-hmm. people shows you how like weak our infrastructure is and how much we really need to invest in it, right? Because I'm a single person, right? And I was miserable. I can just imagine how the impact it had on families and the day-to-day lives of our older folks and our most vulnerable communities. So yeah, it was miserable, Joanna. So you're gonna have to rethink your 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 summer vacations. You know, we have to have a conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, you, yeah. Go ahead, Isaiah. Uh, you know, I was I was just gonna mention, you know, that just you know the taking you know taking things for granted part too. Like, yeah, really, it's hard to know how how great it is to have something until it's not really there. The old cliche goes, you know. Like, um, even if, you know, I remember even, um, being without a car brief, uh, briefly. Um, and even though I spent a lot of time walking around from place to place before that, after having car and then not having car, you, you realize like how, you know, taking it's something not to be taken for granted, you know? And the same thing goes with the power, my power. I was lucky. My, my power was out for, uh, basically just one evening um and then we had but other people on my block were out for longer it was kind of inconsistent house to house and i remember the night that i got because i'm an insomniac so that tornado warning that we got came in the middle of the night um so i was awake i was about to i was like i might stay up stay up stay upstairs because i'm on a second floor and i could hear the tornado siren and i could see kind of the conditions outside it was like a different kind of black at night you know it's night but it was like a different kind of black and it was just like things flying around and was like i i'm about to just take some crucials and go downstairs um i wasn't even sure if i should wake my neighbors because it was like one in the morning (laughs) uh and i felt it past the storm system pass over i'm in a brick building it shook the whole building i came back up yeah yeah i came back upstairs um, and, um, and, uh, looked out the window and there was down stuff instantly. I was like, wow. And then there was a second storm that came. Right. And 
That's wild. Yeah. Um, I know. So I wasn't here. Right. But, and, but, you know, I had my mom's here checking on the house and all that. And we didn't lose power here, but my brother and his family, they live in Brookfield and I'm pretty sure they were out of power also for like 72 hours. Um, and that, you know, they kept getting their updates from we energies, um, saying like when they were going to come out and fix the problem or, or whatever. And it just constantly, every time they would get a new update, it would, the time would get pushed back. You know, first they say, okay, by six o'clock, you know, we'll be in your area, da, 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 right. By 10 o'clock, we'll be in your area. By the next day, we'll be in your area. And it was constantly like this unknown of when they were going to have power again. And right. And, um, you know, Rafi, like you were saying, like for families and stuff, it I think that that's the worst part, right? Like not knowing when shit's going to get back to normal, like, right. Like not knowing when you're going to be able to take a hot shower. And most of the people don't even have like, you know, we, we have our cell phones and stuff, right? Like, I don't know. I just don't yeah, even, I can't imagine. Were so they were yeah. so whack for the customer service. And I, I, I had like, when you try to call, they would send you like direct to like some automated messaging and, you couldn't get a person on the telephone. It was, I mean, for just peace of mind, like even if you couldn't really tell them a time, just for just get a human being on the phone to talk to them, that mm-hmm. was just so hard to do. And I could only imagine if my next door neighbor is a 87 year old woman. I can only imagine what she was going through trying to make calls to energy is not trying to have and not having someone pick up the phone. I mean, they really just outside of like improving the infrastructure and us making real investments into that, just the human touch, right? Replacing human beings with computers, right? And it's safe to save money, right? And what you see with like self-checkouts in grocery stores, it's really in moments like this that you really, really get to see the impact of like not having human beings in those positions. And uh, I, you know, like I said, I was almost about to break after 24 hours and it really bothered me not to be able to, have the comfort of talking to someone on the phone and telling me, okay, this is, you're going to be out for a while, but this is what's going on. This is what happening. And the simple fact that we energies and have that, they should be ashamed of themselves. Right. It, it definitely crossed. It, it definitely crosses the mind, you know, like uh, if you're in one of these power companies, um, uh, when something like this happens, kind of like what's, what are it just makes you wonder what are they seeing on the other end? You know what I mean? On their screens or whatever, as power is getting knocked out, you know what I mean? Like what's, what, you know, like what are they seeing or what's, what's the, what's the mood like in the room, you know, when power goes out like that, you know, um, do they see it as just like, okay, we can handle this. This is routine or, or, or was it more like, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Um, they shouldn't, but this is a Super Bowl, though. Like, <laughs> this doesn't have, you live in Wisconsin, right? This is, this, we don't have, and shout out to our brothers and sisters down there that's dealing with the Hurricane Ida in New Orleans or NOLA. Right. Right. Right now, we don't have those type of storms. So it boggles Yet. my mind how I think how underprepared they were. If that, and I do try to have that type of empathy and understanding on the other side of it. Uh, but this is the, this is the this is what you prepare for. This is the one day that you prepare for. So for us to for people to have to go through what they went through during that period of time, yeah, it just was ridiculous. So even when I, in my most empathetic heart, I, I really can't wrap my mind around how you just haven't you wasn't able to get people in contact with folks on the phone to like put their mind at ease. Because I know in my community, I live in Harambe. It was a lot of people who were upset and couldn't find get any contact with people. So 
They yeah. just gotta do a better job. And this is what they prepare for. Yeah, a lot of people like swaths of Tosa were completely out of power. When you drill up North Avenue, it was just black, even in the daytime, you know, like none of the street yeah. lights worked, none of the stops, stoplights or whatever worked. And, and, you know, my granddad, and then there's tertiary stuff you don't think about, like, you know, you know my granddad's on oxygen. And it's like mm. for, for, mm. for people who like, for people who like, uh, you know, he was in the army, was a smoker and working at factory factories. So he's one of those guys, but he's doing all right. He's doing pretty good now, but that crosses your mind. You know, it's like, man, like how many people when they're out of power, like that's the situation that they're thinking about on top of throwing out all the food and the stores and everything and what it costs to replace that. And, um, and uh, it, it, you know, and then I also talked to some some houseless people um, recently who were living in a tent community um, of 22 tents over by 14th and Valide in King Park. And they mentioned how it was impossible to bear those storms uh, that you literally had to be underneath something solid. Your, your tent was not um, even the ones, even the people who lived up on the hills. Um, the tent was not protecting you at all. You had to be underneath concrete or something. And then the trees were falling and everything. And then um, um, they mentioned to me how, you know, they cleaned up the trees really quickly, but, you know, they just leave the people living in the park like that. Um, fun fact, like close to over 600 trees in Milwaukee were knocked down and it's probably going to take years to replace that. So, <laughs> Just get it together, Wiener. Just get it together, city. <laughs> just, like, let's not have this happen again. Like, it was just a terrible experience. And I'll come from a place of privilege. I have shelter. I am a single person. I can replace my food. So if I'm going through this and I, it, it impacts me, and this is something I went through as a child, dealing with um, you know, disconnection, just just dealing with we energies. And if this is having an impact on me, I can only imagine what it is for the families and uh, our most vulnerable people. So just get it together with energies. <laughs> and once again, to those bracing for the storm down South, um, Democracy Now! pointed out that the storm is going to break on the same day that uh, Katrina Katrina hit um, uh, 16 years ago. Um, I believe it was Katrina. Um, yeah, it's, 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 and one thing that it, I kept, that I brought up and also other people I've talked to brought up is like, that kind of happened to us twice. I mean, like those kind those storms twice in basically like a week or two week period. So it's like, it can't storm like that every single time. That's not sustainable. You know what I mean? Like that's like a once in a while kind of storm. Like every storm can't be like that. You know, what about the people who live on the 30, what, uh, on the, on the flood corridor? The 35th Street Corridor? Yeah, the 30th, 30th, uh, yeah. 30th Street mm -hmm. Corridor. Yeah. What about them, you know? So right. I wish I wish we energies would be uh, transparent with us on like what they plan to change so that when we do experience that type of weather, um, they're going to be better prepared. Like, right. Like, where is the the where's the communication? Where's the conversation? And I think um, uh, one of our Milwaukee older women's um, like she put something out that is like having them, re having re energies required to like be more transparent with the community and their constituents yes, of um, yes. like what they're planning to do. And so um, 
hopefully that happens. Um, because yeah, it's, it's unacceptable. Right. But then again, like that's how these big businesses are, right? Like when you are being held accountable, like when you're being held to like the standards of like, what, who are they held? Who's their like boss, the PS, the PSC, right? Yeah. Rafi, that's what it's like. Yeah. That's the folks who, who are those people on that board, right? Like, are they democratically elected? No. And they're the ones that are getting to say the, get to say what's done and what's not done, right? Like they're the ones that are making the decisions that's cutting We Energy's workforce. They're the ones that are, you know, making higher rates for most of our, you know, black and brown communities, right? Our poor communities. Um, and so like the accountability is, isn't to us, the people, it's to this PSC board, right? It's to these folks that aren't probably suffering um, the way we are. And, you know, Isaiah, you brought up a, a good point. You were saying that you were talking to some, some homeless folks, right. That are living in tents. I mean, and we're talking about get it together. We energies, get it together. The city, I mean, get it together. Supreme court. They just um, a black Biden's eviction moratorium. Oh. And, and now we're going to be seeing a flood of evictions of folks that are still going through this ongoing pandemic, right? Like still suffering um, job losses or, you know, still having to be at home with their children and unable to get to work. And now they're going to get evicted and we're going to see more people in on the streets. Like, how is that the answer? Yeah, one of the gentlemen I talked to, um, and I thank him for talking to me. Um, one of the gentlemen I talked to in that in that um, tent community um, mentioned that, especially over the last year, he's he's seen and he's been home he's been homeless at various points in his life. For I don't have my notepad right in front of me, but well over a decade at different points in his life collectively, you know, and um, he's never seen as many homeless people out there as right now. Um, that's what he's, that's, that's his personal observation of it. And I, and I asked him, do you think it's because of the evictions? He's like, well, it could be, it could be because people were out of work because of COVID, you know, it could be a lot of things. Everyone has a different story, but generally speaking, he feels like there's more people out there, uh, right now. And, um, you kind of see traces of it, um, over in Wauwatosa, they passed, uh, ordinance recently to kind of like give the police the ability to give panhandlers, um, um, a ticket ranging from $25 to $500, basically because people were complaining about them being there. And I talked to a couple of, of, of the people out there who were, you know, staying on the medians asking for money. And, um, you know, um, one gentleman, Clarence, you know, he has mental health issues and, and, you know, there, 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 there are things that could be provided, which aren't unfathomable, you know, like, basic housing um and you know there are just basic things that these individuals need and if they had them then they could pick themselves up you know what i mean Can and I they tell you that are we still in the middle of a pandemic because <laughs> i think we are right last i checked we are <laughs> i believe so so i think if you did the i'm pretty i, I might be wrong on this but the annual yearly income of Supreme Court probably is over $500,000 a year. And no you got clue. a bunch of super rich one percenters coming down with this decision to evict people in the middle of a pandemic? Like, where's the shame? Where is the... It boggles my mind how the working class people haven't just completely revolted against this system because that's ridiculous. 
that is utterly ridiculous that people are they gave the okay at a federal level to begin to evict people. Now it was already taking place here in Milwaukee, but to just have the backing of the federal government to do it. Oh man, it's, I can't even wrap my mind around just the heartlessness that it takes for the person to write that type of decision, right? Like how do you even begin to write that decision? What is your moral, you know, I know the Supreme Court don't uh, base the decision on morality, but let's not even act like they don't base it on like some type of preconceived biases that they have anyways. And the simple fact you can do that, period, but really do it in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, yeah, it's they should it, they have no shame, and it really makes me even more committed to the work I do of organizing people and building a base and building within working class communities and getting people to like understand their conditions because this is not right, and this is not how other countries are handling this situation. This is very unique to America and how America is handling this pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the only plus, um, or at least not, maybe not the only plus, but one plus is that the, um, there was that decision to start to construct um, a right to counsel and, and, and an infrastructure around that in the courts for tenants, uh, so that at least they may have a fair fight in, um, in um, challenging evictions filed against them. Um, but yeah, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the response is, is kind of like what you said, you know, like, how can you, uh, how can you kind of put people in that kind of position knowing what it's going to, what's going to happen? And it, I, I kind of think, you know, that kind of, to me, reaches back to, em- uh, you know, empathy. Um, and one thing that I've, thought for a very long time and now that we're dealing with the uh pull out of afghanistan um and um many of uh, many of the uh, afghan refugees are being um housed at a uh, u.s base in wisconsin um one thing i thought about for a very very long time um is just the fact of just perspectives you know like if you are there there are things that people experience uh, that others may not even be able to fathom, you know, like sleeping in a tent in the middle of a, of a historic storm and having to find concrete to hide underneath or being out of power for two weeks and realizing how much that's, that's really bad or even being out of power for just a day and being like, wow, this is terrible. It's like, well, there are people who have to deal with a lot more worse than that elsewhere, you know? And when those people come to you asking for help, it wouldn't be, it's not a good look to kind of just shun them away and, and, and say that deal with it yourself and um, you should be able to get over that or whatever. It's like, you can't imagine what those people are coming from or, or dealing with on a regular basis. So you don't really um, have any place to tell them to get over it and handle it themselves. You know, it's kind of a tangent, but I, I hope that kind of makes sense. You know, are you talking about in uh, relation to our, uh, homeless brothers and sisters yeah yeah like 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 whether that or even or whether with the afghan issue um or any kind of situation like that where there are people who are in a situation that is difficult for you to for you yourself to fathom you know because you've never been in that situation the least you can do is offer empathy to that person rather than saying well that's your problem deal with it you know and it doesn't matter if i do things to make your situation even worse 
You know, you don't really have much. You, you certainly have a right to say whatever you want, but you don't have really a, a I guess, a, a, a firm ground to really make that argument, you know? Uh, yeah. No, I definitely, I hear you. And I think it's, look, I, I mean, I, not to like circle back, but I just, I'm, I just saw my neighborhood when, when the lights was out for those two or three things, I saw the pressure people were under, right? Um, a young man was murdered in front of my house, right? Like I seen what, when society begins to break down, what can happen. And you write, like you gotta have empathy at the front of your mind, right? Understanding and be empathetic. But when you got these social pressures, it's so hard to have that, right? It's so hard to do it. And we've been conditioned to think of it as a, a scarcity of resources, but that's not the case. We America is the richest country known to man ever, right? So they set the conditions to have us to believe that it's for you to achieve, it comes at the expense of me. And you're right. I mean, how do we organize around empathy, right? And like instilling that into our organizing and into our conversation with one another at a, a local and communal level, because the pressure of being in poverty, the pressure of dealing with a crumbling infrastructure kind of strips you that, that what should be in the front of your mind, that empathy you talk about, Isaiah, it kind of makes you, it turns you into a social um, human being because you're scared, not for you, so yourself, your family. So how do we go from a scarcity of resources mindset into getting people to understand it's plentiful out there and we just got to get the people in power to share those resources? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think like, so I know that there was like some like 45, $46 billion um, allocated by federal government to support with rental and utility assistance, right? But like, I am just constantly reading these articles that are saying, you know, 10, 11% of that, of those dollars have actually been put into the hands of renters and landlords, right? And so like, mm. even when they attempt to do something that is like, quote, the right thing, right? Like they're they're helping, helping um, folks that need it. Um, they're not like letting people know, right? Like there's no education that, Hey, this resource is available to you. Right. Like, when, like we in Wisconsin, when we had the ban, when we did have the ban on, um, uh, when we had the moratorium on evictions, like folks were still getting evicted, right? Like it, it it's like this, um, I don't know. It's, you know, it's like these things are put in place and then uh, folks don't know how to access them because there's no uh, um, thought process or there's no um, efforts putting towards like getting the information out there in people's hands, like to actually, you know, utilize these resources available to them. And that like, I think is the most frustrating part too, right? Is that they, they say that like, they want to help. Right. But, but it seems so fake and inauthentic um, when they can't even put the effort out there to make sure that people know about the resources that they're putting out that making accessible. Um, I think that there's like a cutoff date uh, sometime in September that like, if we don't get this money out in people's hands for rental assistance, that like the, fe the government, the federal government's going to take the money back and like, I don't know, put it towards something else or or whatever, but like the fact that we even have a deadline on this is, is also insulting to the whole situation. But um, yeah, like that's, that's what we're up against, right? It, how important is organizing right there? Like we need to make sure that we're doing that, that education piece because it's clear that our government isn't going to do it for us. 
yeah. as, as our movement politics director, Joanna, aren't you surprised at how how much stuff goes out with folks not being intentional about how you actually, you know, uh, distribute, right? Like I'm amazed with my and my work, like how unintentional people are with policy. Like they think, oh, we made this decree and now it will like, you know, implement itself. And it's like, no, you have to be intentional about it. You have to be, you can't, you just have a policy like um, renters, um, what is the name of this um, policy? The renter, not renters insurance, but the actual, uh, the, the, the money they give the people to pay the landlords, the renter program and not be intentional about outreach. Like, how do you, how do, how does that happen? Like, how does, how do you come up with this billion dollar plan and not get to the basics of the logistics about how you're going to roll it out? Who, how you going to, who you going to roll it out to and who's going to be doing it, right? Like I it wraps, I can't wrap my mind around how unintentional folks in government and can be when it comes to policy and implementation of policy. There's uh, some, that kind of reminds me of some of the issues around body cameras right now. Like, yeah, post 2020, some local departments have instituted not only gotten body cameras, but instituted body camera policies and releasing that to the public and everything. But the policies aren't very, they're very restrictive, you know, and there's lots of caveats and everything in them. And it's, and it's just, yeah, it, it just, what, what, what you just said just kind of makes me think of that issue. So uh, speaking of body cameras and policing, we have had two, wait, what was it? Three police shootings in the last two weeks? Let's, I believe. Be, let's be absolutely correct. Um, That's why we got the journalists. That's why we got the journalists on the line. Let's be absolutely <laughs> correct. <laughs> they're, they're at, uh, they're absolutely there were at least uh there is the one involving greenfield pd down on the um south side and then there is another one involving uh, a car chase on the north side I believe there is a third one as well um all within the last couple of weeks and then you know if you want to even reach back a couple of months there was another police shooting um that should still be under investigation by the district attorney and etc uh, involving walkie PD on the South side, like right around the time of the one year anniversary for the George Floyd protests, which was kind of crazy. So that is an ongoing issue. And if we want to reach back a whole year, it's just recently been the one year, uh, anniversary of the Jacob Blake shooting in yeah, Kenosha. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so what has changed with, um, you know, I don't know, making sure that more people aren't dying at the hands of police see we, go ahead i was just gonna say that you know in terms of kenosha specifically i mean um two major differences are i mean the chief of police i was the chief of police uh a year ago he he's not in that position anymore. I believe he retired and it sounds like Sheriff Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth is uh, on his way out as well. So besides like those kinds of like loose changes of leadership, which can have mixed results, Kenosha uh, it's more amorphous. Uh, Out of the curfew tickets got dropped. So there's that. (laughs) 
yeah. Uh, you know, we last year we had, I think, the biggest movement in American history, if I'm not mistaken, following the George Floyd protest. And I, though some things that Isaiah laid out, some other things that have happened over the year begin to address the police brutality and police shootings, it, it I would say very little has really been done to address it. And I think it's just obvious by three killings in two weeks. And I, I think as a movement, we really going to have to rethink our strategy around police killings and it would have to go farther and not that protests aren't necessary i think protests are very necessary but i think we're going to have to really reevaluate our our tactics when it comes to because they're not nothing is changing man like nothing is changing right and young mostly men of color and women are dying at the hand of the police and it's it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's sad. It's sad that we haven't built enough power to stop that, right, and confront it the way we need to confront it. And uh, it's just amazing that we just had the biggest movement in our, in our history of our country. And less than a year later, we're still dealing with the same exact things. It's like being on a never-ending roller coaster of it of police brutality until we really go at the structures and the systems that keep on producing it we don't get the same results i think it's important just know quickly too that the um that the uh uh along with the different policies and bill proposals and stuff like that um uh that have come out of uh, the last year, there are some that are just directly counter, um, like the anti-riot bill, which is they use Kenosha as their main prop for that in a recent uh, committee meeting up in the Capitol, um, like the drone bill uh, that'll open the door for more law enforcement to use drones uh, during and around protests and things like that to the wiretap bill, which seems to kind of play off of people's ignorance of what wiretap is and what surveillance is. So, so it, you know, along with different policies, whether they're lighter or weaker policies or, or, or seemingly bolder policies, there are these other policies which are coming out in direct response to all the, to that movement, which, are designed really to uh, fresh to frustrate and uh, impede that movement, you know, yeah. and to monitor it. Or at the very least, especially with the wiretap bill and the drone bill, I kind of feel like those were examples of things which were already happening, which they're putting into writing now, you know, but that's just kind of my perspective. <laughs> Isaiah, in your work, is there a, a local elected official or someone, a decision maker that actually has the power to begin to confront this issue that's you, like you really think is doing a good job of really trying to confront the issue? Or are we absent of a champion? Are we absence of champions at that level? Which issue, the surveillance or? Um... I would say police brutality, police killings, all of it. I think it, it fits all into the same yeah. uh, category of uh, well, it's policing. 
Yeah, it's fractured off. You know, you got some strong figureheads up there. You got your Ryan Clancy's and um, your David Bowen's. Um, all the people who really worked on the um, the uh, Enough is Enough bills, um, uh, at least they're putting something out there. You know, you have individuals like that. And then, of course, you got your grassroots organizers. Yeah. Um, uh, and yet we are still where we're at, you know, as 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 you say or as you mentioned. So, yeah, there are figureheads there, but they, you know, your Jonathan Brostoffs and et cetera, your Supreme uh, Moors, um, Supreme introduced a bill to kind of combat the issue of cops hopping from job to job after they mess up. So it, you know, there's things out there, but there are issues or if you want to talk about the policing issue that people just do not know enough about and do not understand so they don't even know to ask the right questions you know people and by people i mean elected officials both at the state level and at the local level in the common council and etc and the county level they don't know what the fusion center is necessarily nor do they knew nor nor do they know really what it does um uh and i argue that no one really knows uh even people within the fusion center um from what i understand it it, it kind of compartmentalizes its itself even within itself um, no, uh, people don't understand the threat model of surveillance technologies and what all they have and what all those technologies can do. Cause they won't be honest about it, you know, and they're legally bound to not be honest, or maybe they're just choosing to do it regardless of the fact, you know, it, it, there are people who don't know the right questions to look into the dark and see what's going on behind the curtain. And then there are other people who have a pretty good idea and they either want to help facilitate that or, they're just okay with it happening, I guess. I, I don't really know. <clears throat> well, and I think like too, like when I think of the, you know, enough is enough packages by package of bills by representative Bowen and representative Francesca Hong. Um, I mean, I also am empathetic to like what they're up against, right? Like the, our Republican legislators mm. are, vicious right they are not willing to have these conversations right they oh they put up a facade with this um that racial task force that um Voss um started right and then um representative Steinecke was like one of the co-chairs of it and then they did a that public records request where they basically saw emails of Steinecke saying that this was all a show um, and so like, I'm empathetic to, to what they're against. Um, and I don't know, I, you know, I just like, I just want to like point that out, right. Like that I know that we, we have some folks that would like to see different, right. Like people that we know come from community organizing backgrounds that are taking what they've learned as organizers to, you know, the Capitol or, or to city hall or wherever, um, and trying to, to do some change, but, and they are like, they're beating a dead horse out there, right? They are bringing this stuff up and being silenced immediately, right? Like, you know, even back to when we were talking about like COVID and um, us being in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like our legislature didn't meet for 300 days or some some ridiculous number um, to even discuss that this pandemic was happening, right? Like yeah. they gavel in, they gavel out at the at the direction of these Republican Republican legislators, right? Like they don't want to have the conversation 
on um, the things that are harming, you know, marginalized communities, right? Like they don't want to yeah. talk about that stuff because they don't care, right? They're good. They got their, they got their paid vacation, you know, last summer while everybody was facing this pandemic. They, you know, they have their um, comfy uh, districts where they're not going to get uh, a serious challenger because of gerrymandered districts. I mean, there's so much, it's all connected, right? Like all this stuff is piece by piece connected and it's, basically stacked up against us yeah and just a really quick note you know let's take a look at like the anti-riot bill just one fact about that the committee uh that that went through um this this passing week or so uh there's nine members on this committee only three democrats are on the committee um one didn't show up um uh I guess they were busy. There was one Republican and then the rest of the people on that committee are Republicans, including both the chair and the vice chair. So you can imagine how lopsided that is, you know, um, not only in the political party part, but there aren't people of color up there really at all. Um, And they're talking about a quote unquote anti-riot bill, which can easily become an anti-protest bill. Obviously that's the main concern, you know, little facet sometimes people don't think about organize 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 if you don't believe belong to a organization join one liberate mke Northside rising citizen action of wisconsin block sock you know uh Vosa de la Fertura. like join an organization yes. build with your community because they got the money they got and we got the people organize money Versus organized people, we win all day. So join an organization and organize, organize, organize. Yeah. Can we still talk about Bucks and Six? Like, let's, <laughs> man, what's what's the keeping the smiles on our faces at this point? Um, I know we got to wrap up the show, but sheesh. Yeah. Like Rafi said, get in touch with your local organization. Um, organize because nobody's going to stand up for us, right? Like they're not going to, nobody's going to come save us. We got to do the work. Yeah. yeah, that's the beauty right there. And, uh, you know, before we uh, end, I just wanted to, as a journalist, pay my respects to uh, Gary Webb. His uh, birthday is on August 31st tomorrow. Gary Webb is the journalist who uh, wrote the, uh, I believe it was called the Dark Alliance series about the CIA's uh, connections to the cocaine trade. And um, he uh, died in 2004. Rest easy, Gary. Happy birthday. Most much respect, and it's a great movie. Kill the Messenger around Gary Webb, right? Uh, and the work he done to expose what was going on in the 80s. And I was using uh crack money to fund uh war in uh in South America, you know. So, a friend respect. of mine, a friend of mine wrote a rap once, and part of the line goes, Crack money, crack money. It's funny how crime's funny, and it's kind of a profound, it's kind of a profound line if you kind of think about it in a right way. Isaiah, I thought you were about to give us some bars. I thought you was about no, to like, give us a nice little freestyle. Not at all. No. I was looking for it. We got to light it. We got to get on a happy note. She thought she was going to give us some of these, you know, go little, get on bars. And you just no. gave us like four, uh, two sentences. I got you. I two got sentences. You. Two sentences for the <laughs> Easter bars. egg. Yeah, I got you. For the Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, y'all. We'll see y'all in two weeks. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye. What up?